Hey everybody, I uh, hope you all are doing well. Uh, Steampunk Link here, just a little bit of uh, housekeeping before we start the episode. Um, sorry about the sound quality here, I'm still just kind of recovering. I am capable of sitting upright for long periods of time now, so we're hoping that we can start recording again pretty soon. Uh, this is an episode that we had in the can for a long time. Uh, I just hadn't edited it. Edited it. That's a weird thing to say, isn't it? Edited it. I hadn't done that yet, um, and uh, as a result, uh, wow, folks, remember when that railroad strike happened? Remember when that happened years ago? Uh, anyway, that's, um, in case you forgot about it, that's the reference that I'm making at the beginning of this episode. Uh, uh, anyway, speaking of things that we haven't done in a timely manner, um, we also just wanted to really quick take a moment to um, remember Mike Fahey from Kotaku.com. Uh, sadly, he passed away. Uh, again, this is something we wanted to do way back when we, you know, recorded the episode and circumstances being what they were. Uh, I didn't get to edit it until now, but uh, I still just wanted to um, just, you know, say how much uh, we really enjoyed his writing on Kotaku.com. And uh, he always seemed like a very kind and thoughtful um, figure in games journalism. And we're really going to miss him. It's it's a it's a huge loss for the games journalism industry. Um, we never met him personally. I, I everything we know about him is through his work, uh, through his writing. Uh, but uh, his is a voice that we will really miss, and we just wanted to say uh, thank you, Mike. strike for more days off, Thomas thought to himself. It's Nescapades, a chronological journey through the North, Ameri the North American Super Nintendo Library with a few pit stops along the way. We play them briefly, we judge them harshly, we rank them. That is pretty much all you need to know. I am Steampunk Link. I am Emmy Zero. And uh, some real uh, great timing there to be talking about <laughs> uh, a Thomas the Tank Engine game just after, uh, as of this recording, we've narrowly... Uh, uh, avoided a uh, railroad strike here. I don't know what the terms were that they finally agreed to, but here's hoping that hopefully it was a lot better for those guys. Hopefully it was favorable for them. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, solidarity with the railroad workers. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, possibly in solidarity with the railroad workers as well is, uh, is, is Thomas and his friends. I don't know what, what, uh, you know, living train engines think about the, the people who, who work on them, but I hope that they want them to have, you know, uh, good, good working conditions and decent hours and the ability to, to seek medical care when they need it without, without running afoul of, of management. Yeah, well, I, I would think, you know, as, as sentient vehicles, you know, they would be sort of lumped in with the labor class. I would and hope so, so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, folks, we've got games based on two children's properties, um, one with a little bit more history than the other one. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. One of them is a property that's existed for most of a century. The other one existed for a couple of years and is remembered fondly by practically no one. Well, well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see about that. We'll, we'll talk about, about that. that. Okay. Uh, okay. Fair yeah. enough. I maybe spoke too soon. Uh, and also we've got a game that's not based on anything, but, uh, is kind of cool. So, um, you, you want to dig into this steampunk link? Yes. Uh, let's, let's dig in. Let's talk about some Thomas, the tank engine. All right. And friends. So uh, this one comes to us from THQ and Software Creations. Uh, Software Creations, you remember them. They're the folks behind games like Plock and Spider-Man and the X-Men. I'm pretty sure that's right. Uh, so, so, so here I was thinking, okay, this will be a nice, simple deep dive. Maybe I'll just talk about the TV series a bit. We're all good. And you know what? I thought like an idiot because, of course, Thomas the Tank Engine has roots that go all the way back to 1945 in a series of children's books called the Railway Series that were written by Wilbert Audrey uh, in the UK. 
Um, the railway series focused on various characters, many of whom were anthropomorphic trains or other vehicles. Uh, Thomas was actually introduced in the second book and quickly became the most popular character. The first 26 books were written by Wilbert and his son Christopher took over the series in 1983. The final book was written in July 2011. Wow. That's very recent. I'm amazed they were still making those books up through then. But, of course, you know, Thomas has uh, and, and his friends have have branched out into to other media. So I, I'm sure there was still an appetite for it, given that they've been making Thomas television shows for, you know, uh, longer than than I've been alive, certainly. So. Yeah, yeah, and about that, uh, Thomas the Tank Engine uh, and and his friends. The 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 TV series aired in uh, uh, the UK in 1984. Uh, the show consisted of a narrator presenting the story as if reading a book. Thus, none of the other characters were voiced. Uh, the original narrator of the show. Do you know who it was? I do not. <laughs> it was Ringo Starr. Really? So yes. we had Ringo talking about trains. That's right. Trains, trains, and drums. <laughs> what more does anyone need? Um, anyway, so drums, r- trains and drums. <laughs> um, so Ringo would uh, uh, be the narrator for the first several seasons and would be replaced by George Carlin when the oh, show was brought to. Yeah. When the show was brought to America as Shining Time Station. Okay. Um, and other folks would take on the role uh, in both versions of the show until 2008 when the show switched from being filmed with models to full CGI. Uh, there would still be narrators after that point, but all the characters were fully voiced after uh, 2008. Ah, uh, uh, so no more creepy pseudo live action Thomas faces at that point then. Correct. Yeah. Aha. Okay. Um, yeah. Thomas, the tank engine and the magic railroad uh, starring <laughs> Peter Fonda, Mara Wilson, and Alec Baldwin hit movie theaters in 2000. Oh boy! And uh, many other, yeah, many other feature-length Thomas stories were released since then, uh, mostly on TV or direct-to-video. Although another theatrical release is scheduled for 2024, so we'll look forward to that. Uh, the TV series aired its last uh, just last year, actually. Wow! So. so no more Thomas for the time being, huh? Um, yeah, no more Thomas on TV anyway no more, for yeah, the time yeah. being, but. I, I can imagine that, I mean, especially if this movie mm-hmm. does well at yeah. all, I'm, I'm sure they'll resurrect it in some yeah, form. Yeah, I'm sure. And I also have to imagine that to some extent it, it kind of doesn't matter just because Thomas's uh, audience is so young that I uh, and, and like every everything is probably available on streaming. So probably you can just bust out some uh, some episodes of this thing to show to like a three year old and uh, they're not going to really probably notice if it's new or not. So. So, yeah. 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 I mean, I didn't realize that the TV show, I mean, I didn't realize that the whole property had been so long lived, but I didn't realize that the TV show. I didn't really either. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't even realize that the TV show had been around for so long either. I, this is one that just kind of escaped me. I, I don't know if it just like became big a little bit after I would have been watching, you know, the, the, the PBS I mean, kind of stuff. It's, um, it's definitely possible because I'm a little younger than you. And it was a big thing in my childhood. I, okay. I had, you know, Thomas toys. I remember watching the show. I, in retrospect, I don't know why I didn't find it creepier. Like I do genuinely think that, you know, like the, the Internet likes to to really kind of blow out of proportion, you know, like, oh, creepy children's media. But I, I genuinely do think that those trains are kind of upsetting to look at. And I, I just I, they were fine when I was a kid. So I don't yeah, know. I, I think I think the kindly British narrator or, I mean, you know, sometimes not British narrators. Yeah. Uh, went a long way to sort of uh, uh, cushioning the visual aesthetic of that's that probably, show. That's probably true, yeah. Because I, I will say that, like, just looking at stills from the TV show is very creepy. And, and of course, you know, like you said, the Internet has definitely had their way with the series as well. You know, like making mods for Resident Evil 2 remake, turning the tyrant into Thomas the Tank Engine. I mean, yeah, Thomas is kind of a meme king, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Well, wasn't there that whole um, horror indie game that was just like, you're on an island being chased by what is basically a demonic Thomas the Tank Engine? Yeah, there is. I mean, that 
that is actually so I, that game's called uh choo choo charlie i think yes yeah um so that's in, kind of interesting actually because there's another layer to that uh which is that um there is a, a thomas knockoff book called charlie the choo choo in uh stephen king's dark tower series oh. that becomes this like uh extremely like threatening like image that shows up again and again uh and that that the existence of that predates all this internet stuff by like, like that's something from like the mid nineties, you know, Mm -hmm. there's another layer to that, but I think that it, none of it would exist without, (laughs) without the, the, the characters looking the way they do. Okay. I didn't even, Um, I didn't even realize that. I wonder if, um, if either of the, uh, uh, authors, uh, well, I guess it would have just been, uh, uh, Christopher at that point. I, I wonder if Christopher ever, uh-huh. Uh, took issue with Stephen King doing that. I, like, I say, Mr. King, I, I, I don't think this is quite appropriate. And Stephen King qu- was like, I don't know what's going on. I'm on cocaine. It's the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I guess we should talk about this game. Um, uh, yeah, we should. Um, what uh, is there to say about it? This is... It sure is a game for little kids. Yeah, it's a collection of mini games. I don't. Okay, I mean, with all the usual caveats, you know, we are not specialized in early childhood development or education or anything like that. So, you know, you can take what we say with a grain of salt, but I don't know. This just doesn't seem like a, a particularly engaging game even for kids and i certainly don't see a lot of educational value in it i mean i think the the circumstances in which you would end up giving it to to a young kid are very specific like it pretty much you know this is a game for i can't stress this enough extremely young children and i think the only ways you would end up with this game is if you were a parent, this was recommended to you and you already had an NES cause you had an older kid, uh, who was playing different stuff on it. Um, because yeah, like this is, um, you know, some of the stuff in it is a little more interactive, a good half, I would say of the content in this is basically just like a read along storybook. You know, there's, there's different, like you said, it's a mini game collection. It's got kind of, I think kind of a neat layout for it where all the games are arranged in a a big square around a, like a big square railroad track. And you can either select the games, you know, by themselves, or you can uh, set Thomas to run along the railroad track. And each time he gets to one of the games, you play that game. And uh, that's kind of that, that's a fun setup. You know, that's that's better than it just being like a list of mini games. But yeah, there's like a little puzzle where you you have to just like slide panels across the screen until they line up. There's um, a game where you have to select pieces, missing pieces of a track and put them in so that Thomas can get to a destination on it. Uh, there's a little quiz and there's the storybook thing that I mentioned where it pretty much just, you know, shows pages from a Thomas, the tank engine, um, you know, children's book. And I think it can has like little tiny interactive elements. Um, but those are kind of the main things here. There's also a couple of races against other, other, you know, train characters. And those are barely games. They're basically just like a thing where you press a button until the race is over and nothing really matters and yeah that's all just so simple that i have to imagine that most kids would would probably benefit more from like an actual just like you know physical toy like an actual jigsaw puzzle there's a jigsaw puzzle in this as well i forgot to say that uh and like like basically don't you know i can't imagine the the parent who felt like this was a good deal after spending like 60 or 70 dollars or however much this game would have cost uh Instead of just buying like a couple of Thomas storybooks and uh, a simple jigsaw yeah. puzzle and for their kid, I mean, there's there's a few things in there that I think um, have some promise. Like I think the interactive storybook thing is is a neat idea because you know as yeah. the child you could you know read along with it, but then also like you can 
hit a button and the story will get read back to you, which could be a cool way of, you know, like helping kids learn to read, helping them. Um, I don't know how, yeah, how effective that would have been on the super Nintendo seeing as how like voice samples like that, uh, take up a lot of space on those cartridges. (laughs) You know, I don't know how much, um, you know, reading along there is there, but it's a neat idea. I also think like some of the games, like placing the tracks and, and getting them from point A and, uh, connecting them to points B and C before finally getting back to the station. I think those are kind of neat. Um, there's a, a similar puzzle where you, you've already got the tracks laid out, but you have to um, adjust the the switches so that the train will you know move in the way that you want it to. I think that those have like you know some good kind of you know logic stuff. I mean simple logic, but for kids that's that's fine. I think if the game were yeah. just more of that. I think this might have been, I I think I could have recommended it a little bit more enthusiastically, but I I think like the button mashing stuff is just silly and uninteresting. I I, I can't see that being fun even for a child. It's dire, Um, yeah. The puzzles are like practically already done for you. I I don't think they're very interesting. Again, even, you know, for a child, I can't imagine them being too interested in that. Um, Yeah, I think that, the developers of this game should have focused on some of the better ideas and embellish them more rather than just trying to make this like mini game collection of games that mostly. Yeah. Again, from, from my perspective, don't seem very interesting or educational. Cause I I also, I don't want to fall into that trap of like, Oh, if it's, if it's not teaching kids something, then what's it good for? I don't, think that all children's software needs to be educational. I think some of it can just be fun for fun's sake. That's fine. Um, This one is very much trying to present itself as educational. Yes, it is. Like if you look at like the manual for this, uh, the manual is uh, different from what you may expect because it is very clearly it's almost antiseptic and, uh, you know, it, it almost feels like it is it, it has come from like an educational advisory board or something like it's basically just like white text on or black text on white backgrounds with a few pictures of the game and it is really clearly written directed at the parents of the kids that are getting the game, which makes sense because the the kids presumably can't read and wouldn't really have a lot of interest in the manual for this. Uh, But it is really like all about how like, oh, yes, this is a brave new frontier in in interactive education for your kids. And here's all the ways this game is going to help your kid learn. And I don't really know that I think that's true. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm I'm really buying it all that much. So, yeah, uh, we've probably talked enough about this one. I think so. Um, yeah. So this time. This time. Yeah. Um, this is kind of the first piece of like children's software that we've had on here. And almost I would say that probably the Where's Waldo game qualifies uh, actually. Yeah. As a piece of children's software, too. Where is Where's Waldo? Pretty low down, I think. Um, no, it is. Uh, 179, the Great Waldo search. Hang on, I got, appropriately enough, I have a train coming. <laughs> They're mad we called them creepy. Yeah, we'll, we'll just go with it. Uh, maybe, maybe it's Thomas. It's Thomas yeah. saying hello. Uh, I've got some bad news, Thomas. <laughs> You're going kind of low on this list. I could probably put this above the Great Waldo Surge. It's got more going on in it, at least. Certainly, yeah. I don't know how much further up I would put it, though. You know, I could probably put it above Kablooey at 171, actually. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, There are a few games here that I genuinely do not remember, like uh, Warp Speed. I don't remember what that is. Yeah, was that like that sort of like space combat sim thing? Possibly. Um, okay. Because I remember Cyberspin was like an overhead racing game. Obviously, I remember Gary Kitchen's Super Battle Tank and Faceball 2000. You know, I remember these other games, but. How about, um, what if we started with um, Captain Novelin at 164? That might be okay. a good place to compare. Yeah, I, can, I could see that. So I think I'd maybe put this a little below Captain Novelin just because I think. Captain Novelin probably accomplishes its educational goals a little bit better 
Okay. Um, I would probably the, put it yeah. above Clue at 166 because, like, Clue was just kind of a really poor. Like, it just doesn't yeah. do Clue very It just well. doesn't work, yeah. So the only thing between those two games right now is Chuck Rock. Uh, I guess the question is, does this go above or below Chuck Rock? Is Thomas creepier than Chuck Rock is ugly? He is creepy, but I just hate the way Chuck Rock looks so much. Okay, so maybe this I think is... I'd, I think I'd rather look at Thomas than Chuck, basically. So maybe this is like our new 165. What do you think? I, yeah, I can live with that. Okay. All right, so congratulations, uh, Thomas the Tank Engine and friends, uh, our new 165 on the list between Captain Novelin and Chuck Rock. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, you're in you're in good company, Thomas. And uh, with that, I guess we will uh, we'll pull out of the station or pull into the station. I don't know what metaphor I'm going for here. I, I don't know, um, but yeah, let's let's go and. And head along the tracks and visit our old friend, Widget the World Watcher. Yes. <laughs> Widget the World Watcher. We're leaving our trains behind and trading them for spaceships. That's what we're doing. Uh, Widget the World Watcher. So, okay. So, uh, or sorry, uh, Super Widget is the name of the game. Widget, Super Widget, Widget, yeah. The World Watcher is the name of the cartoon it's based on. So, so here I was thinking, okay, this will be a really simple deep dive because this is just a short-lived animated show from the early 90s. This will be easy. Well, once again, I thought like an idiot because this show has roots that date back all the way to 1973 in a series of environmental children's books called The Clean Little Martian. Really? No, not real. I I made that up. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, nope. this is just. I'm honestly, I'm honestly kind of relieved. <laughs> no, like, no, I can is... barely deal with, <laughs> with with Widget being the way he is, and like being like, you know, the most like early '90s like cute cute alien friend character ever i do not want to think about 70s widget i don't know what 80s widget would look like i guess alf probably alf probably alf <laughs> yeah. like if you come out somehow manage to mix alf with orko from uh from he-man that's what he made oh yeah. yeah 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 um let's get alf versus uh widget in a new fighting game yeah. why not uh <laughs> Um, no, this is just a short-lived, mostly forgotten show from the early 90s. Uh, it was created by Peter O'Keefe, who is best known for creating Voltron, and uh, produced by his company World Event Productions, uh, who produced shows like Denver, The Last Dinosaur. Oh, Speaking boy. Of cartoons, <laughs> no one remembers. <laughs> um, the series starred Russie Taylor and Jim Cummings as the titular widget okay. and his sidekick Megabrain, respectively. Uh, Taylor is best known or was best known for being the official Minnie Mouse voice from 1986 to 2019. Uh, she also voiced characters Sherry Terry and Martin Prince on The Simpsons and Huey, Dewey and Louie on DuckTales, which uh, you can definitely hear a lot of Huey, Dewey and Louie and Widget if you ever watch the show. Yeah. And uh, Cummings is known for um, everything. He's in everything voice-wise. Uh, he's the voice of Darkwing Duck, if, if that helps you place him. Uh, he's the voice He's the voice of Winnie the Pooh. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, of course. How did I forget that? I mean, he's he's every, he's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Winnie the Pooh, Tigger, Pete. Uh, you know, he, he, I think, I'm trying to think of what, the the big thing that he took over was uh other than those but yeah like um yeah and of course he was darkwing duck so uh he was the terror mask in the the uh, uh splatterhouse reboot for the xbox 360 that is liked by me and nobody else <laughs> was he really um yeah, he's the terror mask. Oh, he does wow. the ticker laugh a bunch in it, actually. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Um, he's also um, the singing voice of the antagonist from Anastasia because Christopher Lloyd apparently wouldn't sing or can't sing. Oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> I, I found kind of funny. That is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, anyway, so th this show um, dealt with a lot of environmental themes. Uh, Widget was kind of like, a, you know, a Captain Planet or the Toxic Crusaders in that way. He would battle against evil polluters trying to trash the Earth with his shape-shifting powers. And weirdly enough, 
villains always seeming to come and just like pollution enthusiasts rather than corporations who were polluting out of negligence and chasing or, or callousness. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like that's the thing that always rings like the falsest about like captain planet to me is it's like these guys who are just like, ah, I just love dumping toxic waste in the ocean. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to pollute around Europe for a while after getting my pollution degree. You know, like, it's like guys come on you all know this isn't really how this works what are you trying to teach kids yeah so um the show got a 13 episode initial run in 1990 and i guess it's environmentalist messages did get it some accolades and that might have helped it get a uh um a quote-unquote second season which really was just like hey we're gonna give you the full 65 episode order now right get the magic syndication number (laughs) Yeah, the standard episode number count that animated shows would get back in the day. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't see any evidence of this show ever gotten uh, a home video release, and I'm not even sure if all of the episodes are on YouTube. Uh, there's a lot of them, but although a lot of them are in languages not English, so it's possible some of the English language versions of these are lost media. I, I don't know. Oh, actually, know. that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, that would happen. This is the kind of thing that would be very likely to fall prey to just getting lost in the cracks. Like, you know, if nobody cared about it at the time and, you know, by the time somebody who had seen it like as a kid was old enough to like start asking about it, like any record of some of the episodes is probably long gone. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that's tough. That's that's rough for um you know, yeah. and I, for, I, for the people that worked on this thing. I could be wrong. This is It's really not as much as me saying I think some of the episodes are lost as much as I don't think that there's like a definitive collection of these available anywhere okay, that, I, yeah. that I'm aware of anyway. So um, it, it, mm-hmm. it seems like the case that this is the sort of thing that, that could get lost if, if it isn't being yep. preserved. But um, no, that totally makes yeah. sense. Um, I... I have to say, I I really do not like, I never saw this as a kid. Like this one is one that passed me by. I don't know. Did you ever see this as a kid? I saw a couple episodes of this as a kid, but it was definitely not something I was super enamored with. And, and I definitely don't remember it sticking around for very long. And I mean, by all accounts, it didn't. It, it lasted until 1991, which is which makes it really weird that this game got made <laughs> that they released a game. It does. Doesn't based it? On yeah. That 1993 that they would even bother. But, um, but here it is. And, uh, yeah, it's a platformer. You, you pick up power ups, you change forms, you fight bad guys. And, uh, yeah. not a hint of the environmental message in this game. Yeah. Not a lot. Uh, um, like they just don't mention it at all. You're just going around. I think the vague plot of this game is that Widget is trying to like uh, graduate from being like an apprentice world watcher to like a uh, you know a full, a full, fully vested one or something. Uh, so he has to do these various uh, missions on different planets to prove that he's worthy of being considered a real world watcher. And, um, yeah, that just means, you know, you, you've got a few different environments for the, the levels to take place in, uh, you know, you got your, your, uh, forest, your casino, your futuristic city. Um, there's probably a lava level in here somewhere. There is yeah. a lava level and it's very annoying because you have to constantly pick up water flowers to keep from burning up. Um, and yeah, uh, this game's made by Atlas, which, um, you know, uh, a lot of games under Atlas's belt, uh, not, I think really a ton of like chops in terms of making this kind of game, a side scrolling action platformer, but, um, you know, it's, I think fairly competently put together in some ways, um, you know, it's got a very strange power-up system. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so you've basically got all these different classes of power-ups. You've got power-ups that are considered leg type, where uh, it, it allows you to stomp on enemies, which you can't normally do, and jump a little bit higher. You've got strength type power-ups, which let you push blocks out of the way and fire projectiles. You've got um, 
ones that let you uh, handle underwater levels better, ones that let you fly, um, ones that turn you into a knight for some reason. I, I Then there's two levels of each of these different uh, power-up tracks. Um, so if, if you don't know what you're getting into, it can be a little bit confusing because I, I remember like I'd, I'd get hit and I'd revert from one power up into another and just be like, wait, why did this happen? And it was because yeah, I right. was at the second level of a particular power up tier. That was why, you know, or a particular power up track. Yeah. That's why that happened, which, which the game does not actually explain this at all. This is in the instruction instruction manual. Right. Uh, but it's not ever like, you know, spelled out in the game that this is, this is the system. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah, you do that. You can also collect what are essentially coins. If you get a hundred, you get a one up. Um, you can also mm-hmm. collect um, World Watcher Horsehead Nebula tokens, which give you uh, World Watcher experience points. And I don't know what they do in the instruction manual. Does not really explain it. So no, your guess and is it's, as good it's as mine. It's also strange. Like this game does a thing that. Um, I think it's more common in games now, uh, but wasn't really back then where it gives you like a letter grade for your performance at the end of the level. Uh, you know, and it, it I think gives you a, a few different grades for like how much time you spent, how much, how many, uh, coins you collected, um, you know, how much you got hit, you know, all of that. But like those grades do not also seem to do anything. Like they don't change anything or give you anything extra as the game goes along. Hey, you know what so, you get? You know what you get? The knowledge that you are really, really good at Super Widget. And I mean, I'd rather. Can, can you put a price yeah. on that? Um, yeah, I would say. Uh, 500 widget bucks or whatever we call those things. Uh, <laughs> that's what I would say is the price for that. No, I'd rather just like, I'd rather they like, you know, give you like an extra life or something, which is like a normal thing to do. Uh, you know, when you, you get a high score in a level in platform games, like I think some kind of tangible reward would be nice. I mean, the game is not like tremendously, punishingly difficult like it's not like mean-spirited the way that some of the like european platformers we've played are but it's also not that easy largely because the controls are imprecise but yeah yeah not not amazing Uh, um i also really quick want to talk about um I, th- I think you have a boss encounter you probably want to talk about as well. I do, but, yes. Uh, there's one I want to talk about where you're you're fighting a guy, and, and maybe this is from the cartoon, and I just don't remember it, but like when the boss fight starts, he's got like a lab coat on, and he's throwing you um, coins. And then like if you either hit him or if you wait long enough, then he transforms into a, a evil-looking version of himself with a leather jacket on, and then the ah. fight starts. And I, I'm guessing maybe this was something from the cartoon where, like, this guy okay. had a split personality or something. I don't know. I was like, oh, that's that's kind of an interesting way of going about a boss fight. Yeah, like I guess. kind of a, a Jekyll and Hyde sort of deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is pretty interesting. That's kind of fun. Um, yeah, the boss I wanted to bring up happens like pretty near the end of the game, and like so everything. Everything in this game has uh, a pretty consistent aesthetic. You know, it's very kind of like Hanna-Barbera-ish, you know, children's, you know, 80s, 90s children's cartoon look. Yeah. Uh, you it, know, it, big it, sort of. It's very reminiscent of the cartoon it's it's pulled from, from what yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah, if you haven't, like, seen this before, like, you know, just imagine, like, um you know, the snorks or something. That's kind of the kind of deal that Widget and his, or, or um, you know. Uh, yeah, any, any of that stuff, but, um, there's a boss kind of towards the end of the game where, um, the, the villain you're chasing at this point is a mad scientist type guy, I think. And, uh, he, um, he, he, you go into like the boss arena with him and he unleashes this thing from a cage and then runs away. And this thing does not look like it's from a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. This doesn't <laughs> no. look anything like anything else from the game. It's this floating monstrosity with two big toothy slathering mouths on either side of it. Um, an eye kind of perched in like the middle 
of where the two the two mouths are with another eye below it and another eye below that that it's hanging off of like some flesh. Uh, there are weird spikes that look like they may be teeth sort of protruding from the bottom. It's a very like John Carpenter's the thing looking monster. And I don't know why this is in the game. I, the only thing that I do know is that some of the people who worked on this, uh, were also, uh, people who worked on like the Shin Megami Tensai games. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe they just got tired of drawing all this this widget crap and uh, snuck in something truly nightmarish. And uh, for them, I, I for that, I, I thank them because this is by far the most interesting thing that I, I saw in this game was yeah, this it, this one horrifying boss design. It is Lovecraftian and uh, yeah, it, it comes out of nowhere. It is definitely not like anything I remember from the cartoon, which, again, is pretty limited knowledge. So, hey, who knows? Maybe that was a thing from the cartoon and uh that's that's why it got canceled. It, 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 yep. They were like, nope, we can't show that ever again. It's an okay platformer. It's, it's all right. It's all right. It's not but the it's, worst we've played, yeah. but it's it's there's really nothing special about it. I don't really like the way it controls. Like widget feels kind of too heavy. Uh, his sprite, I think is way too big, um, for like the size of everything around him. And he gets bigger usually when you, you get a power up. So yeah, it's just, he's kind of unwieldy and it's just not very fun to play. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't crazy about it. it yeah. But it's competent. It's, it's competent, you know, like it's not, uh, it's not a disaster, but I really wouldn't recommend it to anybody. But, you know, I'm looking at this list. I mean, I'd probably put it way above something like Wayne's World or Family Dog at 182. Oh, Family Dog, sure. speaking of, uh, of Lost oh, and, and yeah, Forgotten Oh, yeah, Lost Media, uh, yeah. yeah. Oof. <laughs> I would definitely watch uh, the same number of Widget episodes than I would ever watch uh, oh, God. Family Dog. I would rather watch... I would rather watch all the widget episodes than watch <laughs> watch another family dog, frankly. Yeah. Um, you know, I just God, I hate that thing so much. Yeah, yeah. It's awful. Um, I'm trying to see like what might be a good comparable kind of platformer. Like, yeah, I mean, we've got like Krusty's Super Fun House up at eighty two. I think this goes below that. What about Probably the goes below Spider Man and the X Men? What do you what do you think about the clump of games uh that are around like uh like one oh five to one oh seven? Okay, yeah. Though that's that's probably a good place to start. Um so we've got Tom and Jerry, it, the Blues Brothers, yeah. and Super James Pond is what I'm referring to here. Yeah, in fact, you know, this might actually be like a good place for it, because I, I think I'd probably put it above lethal weapon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, super James pond is, is kind of a tough one. Cause it's uh, super James pond is an unpleasant game to look at, but it's got an interesting I think it, mechanic to it. And I, and I think it does play a little better than this one. Like I think controlling James in that game and yeah, that like stretching mechanic in it is kind of legitimately interesting. Okay, so maybe this just goes at the bottom of that pile and we just okay. call it a day there. So new number 108, Super Widget. And we get one step closer to pushing Lethal Weapon out of the top 200. Yep. We'll get there someday. Are there another, you know, uh, 91 games that are better than uh, than Lethal Weapon? I think Honestly, yes. like if, if Super Widget is is the the bar that they have to clear, I think so. Yeah, I think, I think quite we're easily. good. I think we're going to I think we're going to make it happen eventually here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. All right. Well, with those out of the way, I guess uh, we're going to talk about the last one for today. And I, yeah. I think we liked this one considerably more than those two. Yeah, uh, definitely. So um, this game is the seventh saga. The seventh uh, saga, not the eighth saga. Nope, definitely not the ninth, not the sixth. Uh, right here, seventh saga. Um, where'd this come from? Uh, this came from 
Enix or Enix. I'm not actually sure how that's pronounced. Um, uh, my understanding is it's Enix like Phoenix. Okay, that would make sense. Yeah, so we got uh, so this comes to us from Enix and developer Produce, which I've seen spelled with an exclamation point. So I'll just keep oh, saying it. Oh, that's fine. Produce. Produce. So Produce was a small studio consisting mostly of ex-IRM employees, and they have a handful of games to their credit, mostly games for Hudson and Enix. They uh, developed the rhythm series Paka Paka Passion in the late 90s, which would be published by Namco, before doing absolutely nothing else. <laughs> okay. Um, I probably could have, like, done a Google translate on what's left of their website that I can find on the way back machine. But I, I don't know what became of them. If like, I mean, it sounds like they might down. be a defunct company at this point. If, if you're having to go to the way back machine to find like the last existent version of the website. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm almost certainly, I, I just don't know like why, why they became defunct. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but uh, I guess Paka Paka Passion, they made a few games in that series, and that was kind of popular in the early 90s, or uh, sorry, late 90s. But uh, yeah, nothing after that. That was it. Okay. Um, yeah, that's that's about all I have to say about produce, because there's not much info about them out there. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess that I would say that from my perspective, just like looking at their like gameography, uh, Seven Saga is easily the most in this country, at least the most well-known game that that I know of them working on. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's a game that we talked a little bit about Seven Saga when it came up in Nintendo Power recently. Yeah, uh, I was kind of curious to get to it because it is a game that I feel like I've seen its reputation kind of shift over the time I've been on the internet. Cause I remember back in the day I got onto the internet like late nineties and I was going to, I was, I was a frequent visitor to uh, like RPG specific websites and forums. And definitely back then there were people that would occasionally bring up seventh saga as like a, like a secret classic of the super Nintendo's library. Like it's like, Oh yeah. You know, everybody knows about, you know, the final fantasies and Chrono trigger and all that. But yeah, seventh saga is really cool. And you should check it out. Um, so that was like my initial impression of it. I never got a chance to play it, you know, back in the day. Cause I, I, this one, I just kind of missed. Um, and then as time went on, I started to hear the only times when I would hear seventh saga brought up, it was being talked about as if it was like one of the worst games on the super Nintendo or like one of the worst RPGs. And, um, I don't know, that was kind of surprising to me, but, um, I was curious to see what it would be like, uh, when we actually got to play it here. And I've got to say my impressions of it, pretty good. I think it's a neat game. Uh, definitely very old school in some ways, but I, I think it's cool and it's got some cool, uh, unusual stuff going on in it. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, it definitely it doesn't have like the story or embellishments that like a Final Fantasy or a Chrono Trigger have, which is probably why like in comparison to some of those you know so, some of the best RPGs ever made that all came yeah, out on right. Super Nintendo, it falls by the wayside. But I think if you keep your expectations, you know, like like just just don't expect a huge grandiose story. And I think you might be yeah. pleasantly surprised if you are a JRPG fan with what this mm-hmm. game has to offer. It's um, you, you start out as one of seven characters. You get to pick which of the seven you're going to play as. And uh, the king of some kingdom sends all seven of y'all out to find some runes. Is that right? Runes? Is that what they yes, were? it's runes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you just kind of are left to your own devices at that point. You're going to go out and battle monsters and find those runes. But depending on uh, which character you choose, your experience might be pretty different because you've got your your kind of standard RPG classes like your your human warrior, your your axe wielding dwarf, your magic using elf and, and such. But you also have some real oddballs in there like an alien demon and a freaking robot yeah and um you can uh eventually you can you can meet up with uh some of the characters you did not pick 
out in the world and uh, you can recruit them to join you as party members. And I think that's kind of interesting about this is that there are certain characters that just will not join if you've if you've picked a certain other character like um you know there's there's a character i think it's the alien who is just straight up evil um and the the like more good aligned characters will not join him well, i think it's if, the demon that won't like the the, the demon the won't, de- yeah yeah that makes sense that makes sense um yeah like there's there's one who's basically like a um a healing magic sort of faith healer kind of character. Right. And yeah. Yet, like even as the, the adventure starts when you can talk to everybody from the starting room, he even mentions like, I don't even know why the King wants that guy around like that dude's right. He's a demon. Yeah, He's, he's a demon. Um, and there's an interesting thing, a uh, kind of randomized element where, uh, one of the other potential player characters will always turn out to be a traitor. They'll, they'll turn out to be, uh, actually working against you, um, and have like hired like a bounty hunter to take you down. And, um, five of the seven characters could potentially be that, uh, that character who, who is, is secretly, secretly evil, uh, cannot be the magic wielding elf or the robot. They are always good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, so, you know, some interesting stuff like that, uh, as a game, as like an RPG, it's fairly straightforward and fairly like fast paced, like the, um, you know, it doesn't spend a lot of time on like long story sequences. It, it kind of just sort of gets you out there to, to start your adventure pretty fast. And the, the combat moves pretty quickly, too, uh, in a way that I do quite like. Um, yeah, like uh, you and I actually had kind of different experiences based on the characters we chose, didn't we? I think a little bit. Yeah. So I, I actually went through I, I, I started the game twice uh, the first time I played as the human character, and I did not get very far into it at all. I, I just really could not get my character off the ground. And the reason for this is that I hadn't read the instruction manual yet or the, the walkthrough that I would end up looking up. But the, the manual mentions that uh, you want to defend before attacking. When you do that, your attack will be a lot stronger, and uh, that's going to be really beneficial throughout the game. It, so much so that honestly, like, it's they not even a helpful hint. That. It's yeah. not even like a helpful hint. It's it's more like, hey, look, if if you want to start the game, this is how you have to do it. You got to do this. If you're not doing right. that, you're doing it wrong. Um, so yeah, I I didn't have much luck with him. So I I started again, and I just went with the dwarf. He had a little bit more attack power, but I was also using the defend and attack technique. And then you know I finally started getting the hang of things. Uh, mm-hmm. Made it to like you know the next couple towns. Made it through uh, the, the the first like main dungeon of the game mm-hmm. uh, before getting to the Earth Cave and getting my butt handed to me by regular enemies in that right. cave before finally getting enough experience points. Um, I I think this game does some things that are like really really great if you are just kind of dipping your toe into jr like these classic jrpgs for the first time you are not Mm -hmm. punished too harshly for dying in this game um you lose half your money and you end up going back to um the last inn where you saved at but you don't lose any of your experience points or your magic or any of your items or anything like that. And even the money thing, there is a way to sort of circumvent that by purchasing gemstones with your money, which you can sell back at the same price that you bought them for. So it's you know, almost like a kind of a banking system in a way. Yeah. Um, so I, I think they could have done a little bit more interesting things with that gemstone concept. But mm-hmm. other than that, you know, like I, I think it's, it's, it's all very streamlined. You know, that kind of stuff is pretty simple. Um, the, the health and magic systems aren't very complicated, which I like because that can be a real turnoff for me when I'm playing an RPG, when there's just yeah so many systems that it's overwhelming and I'm just like, no, right, I, I can't is, even get into this. No, so, this is very straightforward. Yeah. yeah. Very straightforward. Um, not very punishing in the sense that, you know, like 
you, it, it's it's hard to lose progress in this game. The one right. big thing is that it's expecting you to grind a lot. So you're going to have to spend yeah. time just fighting enemies over and over again to grind out that XP, to raise your levels, to get strong enough to start taking on some of those tougher caves. And the um, curves for that are pretty steep. So I would sometimes find myself just being like, well... I can't even fight these enemies in this cave yet, so I'm just going to have to keep fighting these overworld enemies for a while, right. which I am way too strong to be fighting, but here I am anyway, and very slowly grinding out XP until I get one more yeah. level higher and can maybe take on those monsters again. That eh. Yeah, and I, and I will say that, like, um, you know, this game doesn't doesn't it has a very high encounter rate and it throws a lot of the same monsters at you in the first couple dungeons um so like in in a very much a way that like uh, you know I, I think dissipates some of the the game's energy pretty fast where it's just like okay i'm gonna be doing this for a little while huh um and you know that's not the worst thing in the world but it is true that like uh this game is uh it's like i said pretty dang old school in that way uh in some ways this almost honestly almost feels even though it doesn't look like an nes game in some ways it almost feels more like an nes game than than like uh you know final fantasy 4 did for example so um yeah, uh, it's but but I mean that notwithstanding, uh, I think this game does do some some pretty good stuff, uh, and I like uh, it's got actually uh, the first instance of a radar like a mini map radar sort of thing that I can think of for a JRPG of this vintage, which isn't super useful for like avoiding enemies. Like you can see them on the, the, the radar, but it's very hard to like actually avoid them. Uh, it is, it is useful for finding treasure chests, uh, but that's kind of a cool thing. Uh, it does a very good, very fun battle transition when you're on the overworld where it the camera kind of swoops down using mode seven to a new angle for battles, uh, which I think is is not, is really fun and dynamic. Um, and, yeah, the sprite art looks good. The music, I think the music is pretty good. I, I, I got a little bit tired of of, uh, the battle theme by the end of my time playing this game. But, uh, you know, if it sounded a little bit too much like the national geographic music to me, uh, but it's pretty good. And yeah, like, uh, just, uh, for, for my little different experience, um, I chose the robot as my starting character and, uh, the robot is interesting in that it cannot use, uh, weapons or armor. It just punches things with its big robot hands. And, uh, you know, that, that gives you kind of a simpler thing to start with. The robot starts off very strong as well. So I was able to kind of just brute force my way through, uh, leveling up a couple of times until, uh, I was strong enough that I'd kind of gotten over the, the very initial difficulty curve. And, uh, yeah, like it it is cool that the game get, does give you some some different uh some different options based on what character what character you you decided to play as. So, yeah, no. I think this is a pretty neat game. I you know, definitely I understand why it isn't talked about in the same tones as the the really stand out famous JRPGs on the Super Nintendo, but I, I don't think it's a bad game at all. Yeah, certainly not. I, I really enjoyed my time with this. I may keep playing this one, actually. Cool. I was, I was yeah. having a lot of fun with it. Um, yeah. Another thing I do want to applaud this game for is some of its enemy design. Like it, it's got, it, it's it got some very good enemy design. Yeah. Yeah. It goes pretty really hard awful. on some of them. Like in the, the earth cave, which was the last area I got to, there's these undead enemies that are just, that just look like they're just like, I don't even know, uh, like, like their skin's been stripped away or something. You see these, these red monsters looking at you with these, you know, sharp looking ah. teeth coming out of them. Yeah. Um, that's cool. Yeah. They're, they're freaky looking. And, um, yeah, there, there's also like a, a, a ghost enemy that you fight in a, a haunted castle where after you attack it the first time, it turns into this, like a, a, a lich like creature. Yeah, yeah, I saw those. Those are very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, so some really neat, really freaky enemy design that I, uh, I really appreciate. 
So I, I think that was good too. Yeah, definitely. definitely seen like this class of RPG where it does kind of feel like a throwback but I think this one adds some some of its own unique elements to it that make it a lot more interesting than some of those have been I agree yeah so I guess if we're gonna like take a look at the list here Mm -hmm. I'm kind of thinking of something like um East Wanderers from East East 3 yeah okay sure where is that one right now uh, that's at number 46 right now. Oh, wow. That high, huh? That high. Uh, it came in early and kind yeah. of staked out a place where, uh, yeah, I, I don't know that East 3 should actually be that high, we, honestly. We, uh, folks, we're, we're going to have to do something about this list eventually. It, it's it, Yeah. It's coming. It's coming. but <laughs> It's coming. But for, for the time being, uh, it is what it is. So, yeah, East 3, Wanderers from East, uh, number 40, 46. I, I, don't, I, I don't know that I'd say I like this as much as that, but... You don't think you like um, Seven Saga as much as East? Yeah, I don't know. We're, what were you thinking? Oh, I was going to put this above East 3. That's interesting. Okay. 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 Um, well, no, I mean, I, I think that... Um, you know what, actually, though, I'm thinking about it. I'm really thinking back on my experience with East 3. And I, man, that freaking dragon boss in that was, did not feel good to fight. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't encounter anything like that in Seventh Saga. So where where were you? I, I'm willing to go with this, actually. Okay. Um, where were you thinking of? of I don't know uh, if I would go too much further. Like, what do you think would be a really good stopping point for this? Like, where you would absolutely say no further? Um, let me see. So we got some sports games right above it. Yeah. I would say I probably... I think Final Fight 2 might be where I would stop. Okay. Okay. I don't. I don't think I can. I can argue that that I think this is a, a better game than Final Fight Two. Yeah. But I, uh, yeah, I'm not even sure if I would say it needs to be that high. Um, I don't know. Like we've got Bob there, which you know was is kind of another one of those like it's a it's a running gun platformer that's fine. It, it it's got some yeah. fun in, uh, animations to it. It's very well yeah. polished, but I don't know if it's like amazing. Um, Alien 3, legitimately a pretty novel game design for this yeah. time period. Um, I think I was maybe a little too hard on Alien 3, honestly. I think that's a better game than I gave it credit for being at the time. Uh, I mean, I think it's fine where it is right now, but... I, I agree, I agree. Yeah. I just, uh, yeah. Um, I think about... Uh, think about Spanky's Quest. Fine. Um, you know, I mean, Spanky's Quest, it, it's... It's a simple arcadey kind of platformer. It's fun. It, it I think it does what it's doing really well, but I don't know if there's a whole lot to it. So I don't know. Maybe like okay. this this string of um, this this pair of uh, of platformers that we think were pretty good. Maybe it just goes right at the bottom of those two. Uh, that sounds good to me. Yeah. But yeah, my 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 thing with uh, East Three, I think that I like the music in that game so much that oh. it kind of clouds my impressions of the rest of it, which is not as good. So yeah, okay, um, well, I think on 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 balance, Seventh Saga is is probably a stronger yeah. game. So yeah, right. no, I feel good about this. So new number forty, a pretty high ranking for Seventh Saga, I think. Yeah. And uh, really good. Uh, I'm pleased that it it uh, ended up being a, a fun, uh, a fun and nice surprise. So yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that one. So, so yeah, that'll do it for today. Um, that that's gonna be episode eighty in the books. All so. right. Look at us. Look at us getting to, to episode eighty. That's cool. Yeah. So um, looking ahead, what have we got for next episode? Well, for the next episode, we've got Top Gear 2. Ooh. Tough enough. 
Uh, yeah, Jalico back with uh, with with the boys again. And Utopia, the creation of a nation, which is another Jalico thing, which sounds like a Koei strategy game, but I guess isn't. Yeah, so, uh, I guess we'll see. Guess we'll find out what that is. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Well, join us next time as we all find out together what Utopia is. <laughs> yeah. Um, until next time, I'm Emmy Zero. I'm Steampunk Link. Play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com.